Welcome everyone to this morning's class. So we're on chapter 20, the supreme reality. So we said this philosophy takes us from the known to the unknown. We know the world, so use what we know to take us to the unknown. We don't know God. We don't know Brahman. So these last two chapters tries to give us some understanding of what this unknown entity, local God, is. Last week we went through some description of Brahman, God, as given by self-realized souls to give us some idea of this infinite nature of Brahman. These self-realized souls have the experience of Brahman, have merged with Brahman, and they're talking from that perspective. <coughs> and with their, with their help, we can also get some idea. Just go over a few of the uh, descriptions. We said Brahman is described as Ekam, one. The world is made of pairs of opposites heat and cold, birth and death. But Brahman, there's only one. There's only one. The world is a superimposition of Brahman. But Brahman remains the same. Formless. Brahman is all-pervading. No boundaries. Has no form. Therefore considered formless. All-pervading. Brahman has no limits, is infinite. There is nothing else but Brahman, it's all pervading. Attributeless. Brahman has no attributes, no qualities, no characteristics. It's not perishable, unlike everything in the world. Me and you, we're all perishable. Brahman is described as attributeless. If we give Brahman attributes, it becomes a substance, therefore perishable. Unborn. Brahman is not born or unborn, like beings. It doesn't born or die. It's always been there, hence unborn. Eternal. Brahman is the source of all experience. Time is the measurement between two experiences. Brahman existed before time itself, has ex existed at the very first, therefore considered eternal, changeless. Our body, mind, intellect constantly change. Brahman is changeless. Pure, immaculate, 
stainless only Brahman exists infinite the world and everything it contains is finite limited they come from Brahman and become one with Brahman the Brahman is infinite endless any questions any questions uh, no just incredible incredible yep it is okay so we're going to start from knowledge i think we covered it but it was at the end when everyone was half asleep so we'll start from knowledge okay make that Yanam knowledge. Brahman is absolute, pure knowledge. The knowing principle with which everything becomes known. People have the knowledge of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Also the knowledge of joy and sorrow, of thought and idea. These are all conditioned knowledge. Knowledge defined by perception, emotion, and thought. Whereas Brahman is knowledge undefined, unconditioned. None can possess knowledge of Brahman. It is knowledge per se, unrelated to anything. What does that mean? Knowledge is conditioned. Brahman is absolute pure knowledge. Conditioned knowledge. Knowledge of the world is conditioned knowledge. What does that mean? I think we covered it briefly last week. What does conditioned knowledge mean? Yeah, Dimple? Um, <clears throat> does it mean it's embedded in us? By, embedded in us? Yeah, by people. Yes. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can say that. What else? Any knowledge we know is conditioned in the world, it says. But Brahman is unconditioned knowledge. You're on the right ballpark, Dimple, but I need more. What is condition? Arunabhim? Uh, knowledge that comes from the world and because, but through our own different personalities, our different knowledge, experiences. Uh, yeah, that's it. Any knowledge we gain ourselves from the world is conditioned by our perception. How we see things, how we hear things, how we taste. Mango tastes lovely to you. You give it to somebody else, they might say, what is this sickly sweet thing? I don't like this. I can't believe you guys eat these mangoes. So that knowledge is conditioned by your likes and dislikes, by your body, mind, and intellect, your vasanas. That, 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 that conditions the knowledge you gain from the world. So you think Brahman's knowledge of Brahman is unconditioned. It's the spirit, Atman, that allows you to gain that knowledge, external knowledge from the world. We'll talk more about that in a bit. In a bit. But does everyone understand? Everyone, the knowledge is conditioned 
by your own perceptions, emotions, and thoughts. You see the Taj Mahal and you think, wow, amazing structure. Somebody else sees it and says, what is this? I don't see what the fuss is all about. Conditioned by your own perceptions, emotions, and thoughts. So, that is so therefore, any worldly knowledge is conditioned. Your individual senses, your vasanas, your nature. Brahman is the ultimate pure knowledge, unconditioned knowledge. Megna, next one. Anandam, bliss. The pleasures derived from objects and beings of the world are fleeting, ephemeral. Whereas the bliss of self-realization is absolute, eternal. It is the ultimate goal of human evolution. The enlightened enjoys the uninterrupted, uninterrupted supreme bliss. They're saying, anandam, bliss, happiness that we get from objects and beings in the world are not permanent. Does everyone agree with that statement? Everyone's nodding their head. Yes, it's not permanent. Why isn't it permanent? Why isn't it permanent? Happiness you get from the world is not permanent. From objects and beings. Why isn't it permanent? Any idea? Yeah, Venita? Because we always gonna we get that happiness and then we want more, so we search we for more. more, and it's never ending. We're we're constantly so it's a short lived feeling. It's Why is that? Any idea? You're because, right. Because that we get used to that perception of that happiness, and then we want a better happiness from that. So then we look for something more, and then we get used to that. So if we then find this happiness, it's saying that then we don't need anything. What gets, what, why do you get into that state where you need something more? Because it's, uh, it's based on your desires because you want that desire and you gain that, then you want, then you create another desire and you want that. So what happens is the mind gets neutralized to that happiness. Richard, Richard Burton had five wives, I think. He went through five marriages, neutralized to his partner. Once a different partner now. The mind gets neutralized. You have a car. A few years later, you want to buy the next car. Mind's got neutralized to that, the happiness that you gain from that. And as you said, Benita, desires are constantly increasing, constantly changing. What are we on? iPhone 12 now. Everybody wants to change to the iPhone 12. Not because the iPhone 11 is no good. The mind is neutralized to the iPhone 11. And all these adverts saying now, you need now, you need iPhone 12 now. And this is how it works. But it's saying that the happiness you get from self-realization is everlasting. You don't get neutralized to it. It's the ultimate. More peace 
and bliss and happiness than you've ever experienced. Can anyone imagine that? More peace, bliss and happiness than anything that you've ever experienced in life. It's unimaginable. You can't imagine that amount of happiness. Or maybe you can. Because the only thing we have to compare is, any, is a, an experience in the world. hundred times more than that. Your best experience in the world that you've get, gained happiness from, object or being, hundred times, thousand times more than that. That's what they say. Does everyone understand that? Any questions? That's our goal. Bliss. Next one, Megna. Duryam fourth refers to the state of self-realization, the state of pure consciousness beyond the waking, dream, and deep sleep. These three states are conditioned by the gross, subtle, and causal bodies, respectively. When one detaches oneself from the three bodies, rises above their conditioning, one merges with the pure consciousness, reaches the fourth state of Duryam. Fourth, the fourth state is the unconditioned state of self-realization. It is where you become one with Brahman, beyond the three conditioned states. What are the three conditioned states that we all go through? What are the three conditioned states that every human being goes through? Arunabhan? Three conditioned states we all go through. You all know uh, it. Waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. Waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. We all go through these. These three states are conditioned by the body, the mind, and the intellect, and the causal body, vasanas. So these are all conditioned states of consciousness. So the fourth state that we need to go is beyond the three conditioned states. It's one with the pure consciousness. So right now, everything you do is conditioned. Conditioned by our vasanas, our emotions, our thoughts, our perceptions. It's beyond that, the fourth state. State of moksha. See, when we reach that state, people are fully content happy. They're living on nothing. They're living on arms. The Buddha left everything, lived on arms, but he was totally peaceful, totally happy. Didn't need anything else. Otherwise, why would he give everything up? Why would he give up his kingdom and live on arms? Why would he do that? Unless he found happiness in that state. State of self-realization. And the last one is inconceivable. Achintyam, inconceivable. Brahman is pure consciousness. It is the supreme self enlivening the senses to perceive objects, mind to feel emotions, 
and intellect to conceive thoughts. It is the subject, not the object of experience. Your body, mind and intellect cannot reach Brahman. The self-conceiving the world through the intellect is like a viewer observing a landscape through a telescope. The viewer uses the telescope to view everything except himself. He cannot see himself with the telescope. Likewise, the self uses the intellect to conceive everything in the world except itself. Hence, the self is said to be inconceivable. So the self is inconceivable. He gives an example with the with a telescope, you can see everything, but you can't see yourself through a telescope. You can see the whole world. Similarly, it's saying the self enlivens your body, mind, intellect to perceive the world, but you can't perceive the self. See, how would you describe the body? If I say describe the physical body, what would you say? How would you describe the physical body? You all have a physical body. How would you describe it? Hmm? Yeah, Shashi? We just um, relate to it as mind, body and intellect. Physical body, sorry, just the physical body. Just the physical body. How would you sorry, describe what was, the... What was the question? How would you describe the physical body? Um, like, a like a vehicle. Like a vehicle? You guys are too deep now. You, when I ask you a question, you're going way too deep. How would you describe physical body? We say made of flesh, five sense organs. He's straight into vehicle. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> that's how I perceive it now. So no, that's, that's really good. Well done. Five sense organs, eyes to see, ears to hear, tongue to taste, nose to smell, touch to feel. This is the physical body. You can say it's got made of blood, skin. How would you describe the mind? From a Vedantic perspective, how would you describe the mind? How would you describe the mind? See, we're going back to uh, the basics here now. You guys are so deep now, you, you forget the basics. Yeah, so see, how would you describe the mind? Like a child. Child. Okay. What else? Deepa? Full of desires. Desires, yeah. What else? You're missing the main one. Yeah, Deepa. Unstable, always worrying about the past or the future. Unstable, emotional. Emotional. So many ladies here. Emotional. <laughs> Made of desires, no dimension. Ask for anything like a child, like a river. You can say it's like a river flowing, intellect as its banks. It's hard to understand the mind, but we get some idea of it, yeah? We have some idea, okay, mind is like this. 
you can say, I understand the mind. And then to describe the intellect, we say, where you discriminate your desires, it reasons, thinks, judges, contemplates. It's like an adult in you. As he said, the mind is like a child. But when it comes to Brahman, we said it is inconceivable. Body, mind, intellect, we can perceive, we can understand. But Brahman is inconceivable, it says. It's not possible to understand God with the intellect. Because it is what enables the intellect to think. It's not an object you can grasp, feel, taste, touch, understand. So we cannot reach Brahman with our material equipments. Can't reach Brahman with our body, mind, intellect. Since it is Brahman that enables us to perceive. It's a subject, not an object that one can experience. The intellect can perceive the world, but it can't perceive the self. And that's why the example is given of the telescope. You can see everything, but you cannot see yourself with the telescope. Similarly, with the intellect, enlivened by the self, can experience, conceive the world, but it cannot conceive the self. Therefore, the self, Brahman, is inconceivable. Understand? Make sense? So therefore, we try to understand God, Brahman, through these different ways, these pointers, eternal, all-pervading. We need these descriptions to understand Brahman. Or, there's another way of understanding God, Brahman, is through its manifestations, its expressions, which is our next topic. We can understand Brahman through manifestations, its expressions. Give you an example. It's like, imagine a person coming up to your house from the jungle. He's never been to the city. He's never been outside the jungle. He asks you, somebody said to me, what is this electricity? I've heard so much about it. How do you explain electricity to this person who's come from the jungle? How do you explain electricity to this person who's illiterate? How would you explain electricity? Anyone? How would you explain electricity to a person who's come from the jungle? What would you do? What is electricity? Ravi, how would you explain electricity? Show them the initial light, light or whatever um, electricity moves, and then um, explain where it comes from, describing the energy and the creation. They switch on a light, the bulb glows, and he says, wow, that is electricity? Is that electricity? When the bulb glows, he sees the bulb. It's not, is it? You say, no, the bulb is not electricity. It is what enables the bulb to glow to him. Oh, he has no idea. 
you turn on the AC unit and it gives out cold air. It says, oh, that is electricity pointing at the AC unit. You say that is electricity. You say, what, it, electricity is cold? No, no, no. It's what enables the unit to give out cold air. That's electricity. He's confused now. You said one minute the bulb is electricity. This AC unit is electricity. I'm confused. Okay, he said, come with me. You go outside. You got your new Tesla car. You get him in the car and says, you drive and he says, look, this car. So electricity is this car? You say, no, it's what enables the car to move. So it's very difficult to explain electricity. We don't know what, any, what it is. But through its manifestations, through its expression, you can give him some idea of what this electricity is. He has some idea. Similarly, we cannot understand God, Brahman. But through its manifestations, we can get some idea of what Brahman is. Is everyone with me? Does everyone understand the example? It is the power in you that makes the tongue taste. It's what makes your eyes see, your ears hear. It is what makes the arms and legs to move. The power in you that makes the mind to feel, the intellect to think. This is God. Brahman, Atman. Just as electricity that makes all these gadgets function. Any questions? So Brahman is inconceivable, but through the manifestations, we can try and understand Brahman. And that's the next topic, manifestations of Brahman. Very interesting. Okay. Manifestations of Brahman. Brahman is one homogeneous mass of reality but the manifestations of Brahman are manifold. Just as electricity is one while its expressions are manifold. The sun is one, its, its reflections manifold. Not knowing the unifying nature of Brahman, the ignorant masses relate to its multifarious expressions. They become involved in their differences, divide themselves into various factions, and suffer the bitterness and misery arising therefrom. The wise rise above differences, recognize the Brahman through its manifestations, see unity in diversity, identify with the Supreme Being and revel in its peace and bliss. Very interesting, this uh, paragraph. It's saying Brahman is one, single mass of reality, but it has many expressions, just like electricity is one, but it has many expressions through its gadgets. We just covered this. So the ignorant people who don't understand this, they don't understand how God, Brahman functions, they attach themselves to the manifestations, the expressions of God, and then they suffer. 
Any idea, any examples anyone can give? You attach yourself to the manifestations of Brahman. Ignorant of that one. Yeah, Venita? So is that saying like if um, somebody believes in Hinduism, then they think their religion is of most importance, not anybody else's, don't see, they think that what they understand is only of relevance and not think yeah. anything beyond that. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Anybody else? Any other example? People attach themselves to the manifestations, the expressions. You are a Christian. What kind of Christian? I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Really? I'm a Church of England. I'm a Catholic. Manifestation. I'm a Sunni Muslim. And you? I'm a Shia Muslim. Manifestations, expressions. I believe in Mataji. No, I believe in Krishna. I believe in Shiva. These are expressions of that one. I'm from this Swaminarayan temple. No, I'm from the other Swaminarayan temple. Manifestations, expressions. I believe in this Kaka Sahib. I believe in the other Kaka Sahib. Manifestations, expressions. So due to our ignorance of that one reality, we set up different factions, different religions. We divide ourselves, attach ourselves to these religions, to these manifestations that we have created. And who suffers from all this? Who suffers? Everyone knows the answer to this one. Meghna, who suffers? We do. All of, all of us do. So we create this, we attach ourselves to this because of our ignorance, and then we suffer. All these wars, everything, is because people don't understand there's only one man, one Brahman, one God, whatever you want to call him, it doesn't matter. You can call him X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter what you call him. Or her. It doesn't matter. So we attach ourselves to all these manifestations, expressions, and then we suffer. The wise, the learned, you are all the wise and learned, Hema. You are the wise and learned. Understand the truths. Arise above these various expressions and relate to the one Brahman. Then you revel in the peace and bliss because there are no differences, no differences to argue about, nothing to fight about. There's only one God, and you understand that. So with this knowledge, it takes you out of your spiritual ignorance, elevates you to spiritual growth. Any questions? If you just understand this paragraph, you've grown so much. The whole life we, we get involved, attached to all these ex different expressions. We make so much drama out of it. 
eyes above it. There's only one God, one Brahman, and that's it. These are all the expressions of Brahman. Just like there's one sun, but there's so many reflections. Same thing. Any questions? Does that make sense, Dimple? Brahman is the substratum of the microcosm and macrocosm that constitute the world. It is the center around which both of them revolve. That supreme being resides in yourself within. Discover yourself, the entire world will merge into it. So Brahman is what the world is made from and is responsible for the macrocosm and microcosm, meaning everything from big to small. Animate, unanimate, living and non-living, everything is Brahman. And it's the same Brahman is what is within all of us, the self, Atman. And when we discover the self within, when we, when we reach the understanding, one merges with the world, everything in the world becomes one because you identify with everything as one. There are no differences, no color, no creed. You see a small ant, you identify with it. Brahman is in this ant. You see a waterfall, you identify it. Brahman is in the waterfall. Everything is one. And now you understand that. This is what it's saying. But this is the problem. We don't, because we're not evolved. Any questions? Okay, next paragraph. A highly evolved spiritual person finds the expression of divinity everywhere. He would go into raptures merely at the sight of a flower or fruit. William Wordsworth was in ecstasy when he beheld the daffodils, whereas a less developed one, not as spiritually evolved, would need something more striking, perhaps a glorious sunrise or sunset to inspire him. And the least developed with hardly any spiritual insight would react only to spectacular sights like the snow-capped Everest or the mighty Niagara Falls. Anything less would not stimulate the divinity in him. Please continue the next paragraph. But then there are unspiritual extremists who do not even react to, who do not react even to spectacular, breathtaking expressions of nature. They remain grossly inhuman, blind to the splash of divinity lavished all over. Those are the persons who need miracles to excite them. Only such unnatural gimmicks could stir them from their spiritual slumber. These barren characters lack the fundamental spiritual trait of the human species. It's saying, these two paragraphs, what it's saying is it's evaluating human beings. There are different, many different people in the world. So depending on how spiritually developed you are, evolved, determines how you relate to Brahman and its expressions, it's saying. Example, 
highly spiritual, spiritually developed person sees divinity everywhere, in everything, as I just mentioned. William Wordsworth describes in his poem, The Daffodils, and how the sight of the daffodil swaying in the wind reminded him of God. The poem is there, you can all read it. Very famous, The Daffodils. So if you're spiritually developed, you see Brahman everywhere. You wake up in the morning, see yourself in the mirror. You think of the miracle of sight, that your eyes can see the miracle of the light. Reminds you of Brahman. Your partner is snoring, reminds you of Brahman. Look in the garden, you see the birds flying around, reminds you of Brahman, reminds you of God. So all these expressions remind you of God, if you're spiritually developed. A less developed person needs something more substantial to think of God, like a sunset, sunrise. God, what a beautiful sunset, he will say. So he needs a greater expression. God has created a beautiful sunrise. Then there's even less developed. They need something even more substantial, beautiful things like the mountain range of Everest, Niagara Falls to remind them of God. You see where I'm getting at? So depending on your evolvement, development, you need more of an expression. Then there are the totally unspiritual fanatics. They're extremely gross. Nothing stirs the divinity in them. They need miracles to make them think of God. You know, they show these sadhus, they do these tricks. Do you see, he made that flower appear from nowhere in his hand. Wow. Amazing. He has some godly powers. A gold watch suddenly appears. Certain people think, wow, nothing else will make them feel about God. He has not eaten for months. He doesn't need food. Wow, God, he must be like God. You know, they need these sort of miracles to be able to think of God. They have no spark of divinity. They lack any basic spiritual quality. They're like a stone. So the more spiritually evolved, the less of an expression of divinity God is required. The less spiritually evolved, you need a greater expression to remind you of God. Does that make sense? Yeah, very nice. Um, is saying the same uh, that something reminds you of God the same as saying I can see God in that? Is that the same thing? Uh, very similar. Um, it's the same thing. Can you say like, that I can see God in a human being or in a flower or in a sunrise? It's the same thing because you can't actually see God, but you're identifying with God. It's just a play of words. Does that make sense? Because you can't see God, but you're using that expression. Yeah. Is that okay? The thought takes you to the higher. Yeah. The thought takes you to that higher. So it will just mention to me. So you identify person is good, person is bad, but you identify with the self within. You understand that's his nature. 
doesn't stop you from identifying with the Atman within him. So that's a highly spiritual developed person. So it's that constant reminder you need. And that depends on your development, spiritual development. Any other questions? Yeah, please. Why is it harder to see God in each other than it is in nature? Who would like to answer that question? You can try, and many times you can see. If somebody's doing a really good thing, you can yeah. see and identify the God in them. But in most, most situations, we get so trapped in our daily lives, we don't seem to identify with the God in the other person. Why is that? Anybody? Because we're reacting to their nature, their prakriti. Whereas nature does, nature don't react towards us. We react towards nature also. Yeah. Right. right. Anybody else? Why is it? Yeah. Everyone's got their hands up suddenly. Yeah. You also identify. Oh, sorry. Sashi? Sorry, Sashi, you had your hand up. Is it because, um, could it be because we identify with the external body? Yes what we see externally rather than looking internally. You're going to say the same thing? What were you going to say, Ravi? In fact, the same thing, yeah. You, we, we identify with the external body. We don't see it beyond that. Same thing? I was going to say, it's based on our likes and dislikes of the person, because if we like that person, they could be doing bad things. We will still like them right that somebody yeah. else will think they're a bad person so it's based on our likes and dislikes yeah you're all right by the way we don't identify with the self we identify with their appearance their behavior their mind their emotions the way they talk the way they're thinking we're not identifying with the self we're identifying with their personality their nature and as Vanita said, based on our likes and dislikes, if we like the way they behave, fine. If we don't, then no. We are the, like, the, what's the, um, the reference point. We are, as we are the perfect. So we're the reference. So that's why. <coughs> And that's why you find it more difficult to identify with a human being because you are a human being and you identify with their personality. But well, with animals, you don't because you don't identify with their personality. You have no reference. You only see Brahman. And in some way, they're not competing with us, are they? They're just separate from us. So I think there is that innate thing that we feel. And I'm just thinking of certain situations, but... We are, through this knowledge, beginning to identify more and more that everybody has God in them. We should be identified with the internal, not the external, all those things. Um, so yeah, it's just, like I guess, a, a learning you know, journey that we're on every day. That's what it's saying. Depending on your spiritual involvement, the more you're able to identify with Brahman in every, every being. So that shows you that you need to evolve more to the point where you are able to. 
right now you may, you're saying, well, I can um, identify with animals, birds and creatures. Most people can't do that either. So that is your stage of involvement. And as you evolve more, then you will be able to, to do that. Yeah. So that in shows many you people. what. <laughs> huh? yeah. In many people, like I said, if somebody's doing good, you know, we can clearly see, you know, where. But I think what Benita said about identifying, because of our desires and needs, like you said, we're using that as benchmarker rather than thinking it, you just accept everything, everybody irre irrelevant of uh, those. If you understand that the vasanas are playing up in a certain mm -hmm. way, yeah, you identify with their vasanas, the fact that Brahman is within them, but their vasanas are so bad based on his past cause, um, past actions, his cause and effect, poor person, but Brahman is within them as well. They can't help themselves, but act based on their nature. Just like we can't, we act on our nature. So, this is the this is the way you need to identify. Yeah, dimple. I was just gonna say. So, is it bad if we try and avoid people that have a negative impact on us? Because when you're around them, you could you send your blood pressure high, and so you try and avoid them. So you know that this person's like this, and there's nothing I can do about it. So if you think, right, well, I, I can't, as much as I want to see Brahman, I can't be around that person. So is that bad of me to feel like that, to avoid being around people like that? You see a big rock in the road, are you going to walk over it or are you going to avoid it? Avoid it. Simple. Until you get to the level where you can be with that person and not be affected, then you avoid that person. But when you reach that level, then you say, Brahman is within him, that's their nature, my blood pressure is going to stay normal. <laughs> that's your involvement. <laughs> it's actually showing your, your level of involvement. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, It's a marker for your involvement. Just like Aruna Ben saying she can't identify with certain people, you know, Brahman. So that is showing your level of involvement, which is great because you know where you need to get to. Is that okay, Dimple? But until then, you avoid that situation because it agitates you. And you understand it agitates you. So why get into that situation unnecessarily? That's being objective. Yeah. Any other clarifications? So the more spiritually evolved, the more you identify Brahman. The less, so a self-realized person is what then? How, what does he identify with? Yeah, Vanita? Self-realized person identifies Brahman only and nothing else. No, there's no other reality apart from Brahman. 100%, everything is Brahman. That's it. That's the stage we want to get to. Blood pressure stays the same then. <laughs> okay, next paragraph. Everything in, everything in the world rests in your inner self. All perception, emotion, and thought proceed from the self. 
the world has no reality of its own, but people look upon it as real in itself, make a wrong evaluation, give it false attributes, which causes privation and pain, suffering and sorrow. They do not realize that the world has no status, substance, standing apart from the underlying reality. You may give the world as much status as you would a picture of your family. The picture is valued, loved for what it is worth, but because of your family, that it represents. The picture has no value apart from the family. Likewise, the world is a picture of the reality. It has no inherent value without the reality. Learn to regard the world as you would the picture. Understand the reality alone exists. Recognize the reality in and through all your experiences in life. Regard all happenings as a grand theatrical performance as Shakespeare has wisely advised. They're saying the world and everything in it comes from the self within. We now understand everything is the self. The world has no reality of its own. So ignorant to this, people believe the world to be real. They make wrong evaluations, and this causes suffering and pain. As we said, the world is merely a reflection of Brahman and has no inherent value. Just like a picture of your loved one, a picture of your family, the picture itself has no value. It's only because what the picture is of that you value it. Your family's on there, you value it. If somebody else's family was on there, you would not value it. Similarly, it's saying the world itself is like a picture of Brahman. It has no value otherwise. It's a very subtle concept. The world has no reality, has no value. It's like a picture of Brahman. So therefore, we must understand the truth, realize everything is Brahman throughout all our experiences in life, physically, emotionally, and intellectually. But this world isn't real. This is what it's saying. <coughs> but because we don't understand, we give it some value. Next parable. Thus must you view the world from the balcony of your inner self. Watch the procession of action, procession of action and perception. Emotion and thought go by. Do not allow yourself to become involved, immersed with them. Stand apart, be objective, be a witness, Sakshi. All goes well thereafter, no friction, no frustration in life. You attain enduring peace and bliss. Again, the whole of this knowledge, the core of this philosophy is in this one paragraph, by the way. If you understand this one paragraph, that's it. Don't get involved in actions, emotions, and perceptions. Just live life objectively as a sakshi, a witness, like you're watching a play or a movie. This is how you need to look at the world. 
Why can't we do that? Look at the world from the balcony of the self. You are the self. You are not this body, mind, intellect. Watch the world pro process go by from the balcony of the self. Why can't we do that? Why can't we do that, Dimple? Because we end up putting our opinion in and getting involved because we can't stop ourselves from doing it. We get involved in everything. Business, family, we're already involved, attached to. But everything else we get involved as well, affected. He said that to her. She said this to me. You want to add your own opinion to everything. Who suffers? We do. Just be a sakshi, a witness. We don't understand these truths of life. We don't know we're suffering. That's the problem. We don't know we're suffering. You look at your bank balance and say, I'm all right. That's it. I'm healthy. Look at your bank balance and you say, I'm healthy. It's difficult for us to do. While living in the world, it's difficult. That's why these great sages, they leave everything and go live in the Himalayas. It's easier there. Less people there to get involved with. So don't get involved. View the world from the balcony of your inner self. And nothing going on in your life or the world affects you. You then experience peace and happiness. No agitations. That doesn't mean you'll give up your obligations, by the way. It's a mental state, yeah? You live, act in the world, fulfill your obligations without being affected. And at the same time, you understand the truths of life. You pursue that truth until you reach your goal. That's the way to do it. Keep developing. Keep being objective. Deal with your baggage that you've created without being affected. That's the crux of this whole philosophy, to be able to do that. Until then, avoid anyone who causes your agitations. If it's your partner, then you have to rise above it. Learn to rise above it. See the self in them quickly. Any questions? So how do you stay detached and not get involved in life? So this next uh, parable we're going to cover before we finish today explains how one can achieve this. I mean, there's some background noise coming when you're talking. Oh, it's just special effects. It's off now. The washing's finished. Oh, thank you. The question remains, how does one extricate oneself from the worldly entanglement and, and, and identify with the self within? 
Here is a simple parable which suggests the practical way to go about it. There was a king who ruled his state to perfection. His subjects adored him. He was advancing in age and had no heir to the throne to his throne. His ministers were concerned over the future of the state. They approached the king reverently and laid the problem before him. The king resolved to nominate his heir. After reflecting over the matter, he decided to organize a grand exhibition with the finest exhibits from different parts of the world. In that exhibition, he would somewhere, he would be somewhere incognito. The subjects of the state would all be invited to the exhibition. He who finds him out shall be the heir to the throne. This was the royal proclamation. Continue. Continue. The proclamation was publicized. The exhibition declared open. People thronged to do it. Everybody searched for the disguised king. Soon the excitement and enthusiasm died away. They became involved in a variety of the fascinating displays and quite forgot the search. They lost the very purpose of the exhibition. In that aimless mob, one young man persisted with the search, determinedly pursued the goal, maintained consistency of his purpose, put forth all effort to discover the king and remained detached from the attractions around him. He searched every nook and corner, at last reached the furthest end of the exhibition. There he found a small, neglected temple. It was a permanent structure in the vast exhibition grounds. Quite exhausted with the search, the young man sat at the entrance of the temple. He heard a prayer chanted by a priest inside. Ignoring the ritual, he promptly went in and examined the priest, and lo, there was the king disguised. The king commended the youth's determination and effort and crowned him king of the state. So this is how we need to behave in the world. The goal, the reward is to be king of the state. Everyone has an opportunity to do that. The king was dying, he's old, no heir. <coughs> so he said, make grand exhibition. Everyone is invited in the kingdom. I will be there somewhere, hiding. Whoever finds me is the next king. <coughs> Everyone comes with the intention of looking for the king. But what happens? What happens? Yeah, Marita, what happens? They get um, they get involved in everything else that's going on and forget the purpose of the reason why they actually came in the first place. Apart and what's the and what's the what's the reward if they do? The reward for finding the king, the king would be to become king. Yeah. So that is the goal. But 
you get the whole kingdom, but you get distracted. You get involved in the exhibits. And soon you get so involved, you forget the purpose. That's what he's saying. This is what we're doing in life. We're here for a purpose, to find ourselves. And we would then be crowned king, king of the world. But we get involved with all these side attractions. Name, fame, power, wealth. All these things we get attracted to, involved with. We forget our purpose. But one young man kept his focus, single-pointed focus. I'm not interested in any of these things. I'm going to find a king. And he finds him. And he's now the king. This is what we need to do. Single-pointed focus. This is my goal in life. This is my purpose in life. I need to reach this spiritual development, evolvement. We lose sight of the reality, Brahman. We enjoy the petty things in life. Gain temporary happiness. Miss out on the real permanent happiness. Get involved in the reflection and miss out on the true reality. So we must rise above the perceptions of the world and search for Brahman, the truth. Become one with Brahman. This is our mission, our goal in life. Ravi, last paragraph, please. So it is with Brahman. Brahman remains incognito in the world. People are lost in the phenomenon of perception, emotion, and thought. Few care to search for the reality that lies beyond the fascinations of the world. People are lost in the pleasures of life. They have virtually abandoned the kingdom of bliss. The wise one, however, rises above all ter terrestrial attraction, searches and researches Brahman in the phenomenal world. That rare one finds Brahman, becomes Brahman. There you go. We've covered everything in this class today, A to Z. <laughs> we just have to understand it, absorb it, and act on it. For your own well-being, for your own happiness. Any questions? Robin, you okay? Great. Well, it's supposed to be nearly 30 degrees today, so... It's too oh yeah, by the way. Um, next week is Father's Day, and I've been summoned not to have a class by the boys. So I don't want to get agitated in any way or agitate anyone, so... This, and the following Sunday, I'm away. So there won't be any classes for two Sundays. Yeah. So rest, relax. Use that time to read, listen to a class or something. That time, don't say, okay, I'm off. Use that time. Keep that going. Sunday morning, 10.30 to 12, Vedanta class. Even if I'm not here, doesn't matter. 
Yeah. Okay, great. Any questions, by the way, Wednesday group discussion? Feel free to post the question, yeah? Great, thank you. Have a lovely Sunday.